Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, As always, we definitely appreciate your time. We know that you got lots of options out there and the fact that you're choosing us. I mean, I'm just absolutely grateful for it. What I want to cover today is the battleground. If you listened to the podcast that came out yesterday, you will have an idea of where I'm going with this. Uh, But I really want to talk to the battleground of morality. When we're talking about morality, look, it's not my place to tell you what you have to believe, what you have to think, what you have to do. It is my place to tell you when I see a battlefield that's in front of us and we might be paying attention to something else. If you're walking backwards on any battlefield, you are susceptible to what's behind you. If you're walking forwards, you're still susceptible to what's behind you, friendly fire or enemy fire. So I want to outline the battlefield. I want to help you understand how I see the battlefield. And I am open, always open to your feedback. If you think I've missed something, if you think I need to address something more in detail, if you think I need to come at something from a different angle, please give me that feedback and let's let's do this together. All right. The battlefield for morality. If you paid attention to what I I said yesterday and you you got a sense of what morality is all about, and again, I want to emphasize it is not purely about religion, although most of our morality comes through religious lenses, like our belief systems. Um, One of the things that percolates right up to the top when it comes to the battlefield is lies. Why are lies such a deciding piece of the battlefield? Because when we talk about lies, what we talk about is the enemy. Look, we're going to make mistakes. When I say lies, I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm talking about intentional use or manipulation of words or actions to tell somebody something that is not true. It's a lie. When we encounter lies, we are encountering the enemy. The enemy is directly in front of us. Now, I make lots of mistakes, and I hope that you can forgive me for my mistakes. But one of the things that I'm not going to screw up is I'm not going to come here and lie to you. I will make mistakes. They will be honest mistakes. They will, they may be mistakes uh, because I'm naive or foolish and I just didn't understand something fully. But the only way for me to learn and grow is to put myself out there and have you correct it. Now, you could come at that and be a total jerk, or you can come at that with character, like we talked about in the previous podcast, and be helpful. But either way, you're giving me information. So, I'm not going to lie to you, but there are people out there who will lie to you. I may get things wrong, but it's not going to be a lie. All right. Number two, secrets. Secrets destroy relationships. Has to be part of the battlefield. When we're talking about character, when we're talking about morality, secrets have got to be part of that battlefield. Because secrets 
Our own secrets create blind spots in us. Others' secrets create blind spots in them. And when we put ourselves in the same arena, the same environment, if one of us or both of us are keeping secrets, our secrets can harm each other because we're in it together. At that point, we are together. The collective we gets harmed when you keep secrets from me or I keep secrets from you. That is not the same thing as privacy. I've been, I'm going to clarify that again. I've done this before, but I just I can't move past that without clarifying. Privacy is going to be things like when you go to the bathroom, I don't need to be part of that. Secrets are when you intentionally withhold information that you know would benefit me to know. That would be something like, if you look back at the, your time in high school, when so-and-so cheated on so-and-so, and now they're dating your, your friend, you don't keep that secret. You may not tell them don't date them, but they should definitely know that that occurred. Now, if you don't know it to be fact, make sure you state, hey, this is what I heard. I don't know if it's fact. I'm not doing this for drama, but I thought you ought to know just in case, so that they can pay attention and see those red flags. Another part of the battlefield is deceptions. Now, deceptions are tricky because they're not the same thing as lies and they're not the same thing as secrets. They're usually omissions, purposeful, intentional omissions, like secrets, but they're designed intentionally to do something. If you listened to yesterday's podcast, you heard me talk about causes. Causes are notorious for deception. Like that's what they're known for. They're known for that because when they manipulate a group of people because they have been deceptive, they can get a behavior, an emotional reaction, a behavioral reaction that moves the cause but not for the right reasons, not for the right reasons. Because if those people wake up, it's like kicking a sleeping lion. Probably not a good idea. Because if all the people that were following you all of a sudden decide, whoa, wait a second, this is not what I thought it was because you sold me a bill of goods that turned out to be different than what I actually thought it was. They're going to bail on you and they're going to bail on you in a hurry. At least they should because that's part of the battlefield, right? We run away from people who deceive us. That doesn't mean we can't love and care for them with character from our end. It just means we're going to do it at a distance. I can love you from further away because I don't trust you. And people who we trust and who have been honest with us and that we have been honest with, we pull them in closer and we get more intimate, uh, not in a, a romantic way, but in a relational way. Pride and arrogance. That's part of the battlefield. Like We think we know stuff. There are things that I know, but knowing our limitations is so important. It's that humility that counters pride. The idea of like, I know some things, but I don't know everything. We have to understand that pride is part of the battlefield. People are going to, they're going to show up with bravado and they're going to show up to kick butt, take names because they think that that's what's necessary on the battlefield. But that same pride is what gets in the way. 
of real success. So we got to be careful about pride when we encounter pride. When we see somebody who thinks they know everything, you might want to take a step back, pay attention to them a little bit more. Do they think they know everything because they only talk about the things that they know? That's not necessarily pride or arrogance. That's sticking to our specialty, right? We well, That's not a bad thing. If you're really good at shooting an M16 in the military, then, well, there's nothing prideful about saying I'm really good at shooting an M16 in the military. That's a truth. That's not arrogance. It's confidence. It's a reality. So there is a difference. Another part of the battlefield is the disconnect. Like when we get into these battles against um, obstacles, obstacles that are in the way of us having character and moral structure, when we encounter disconnect, it can be devastating to the whole group. Now, there's two types of disconnect I want to point at. The psychological one, the head, heart, soul. That would be the individual disconnect. The idea that my emotions and my thoughts, they counter each other. They're incongruent. They are at odds. And then the other is the tribal disconnect. The idea that I belong to this group of people, but now I'm being banished or pushed away. That disconnect is dangerous on a battlefield. Sometimes it's a group correction mechanism. And sometimes it's cruelty. We've got to be paying attention. The cruelty of disconnect, not okay. And we've got to find a way to say, hey, look, this behavior needs to correct. And if it does, we'll take you back. Hey, this thought process is, it's, it's archaic. Like when I grew up, I used terms, slang terms that I would never use today. They're archaic. If I still use them today, I would hope that somebody would put their arm around me and say, hey, I'm going to distance myself from you for a little bit. Take care of this, please. You take care of this man, open arms. I will bring you back because I don't hate you. I just can't be around this. It's called character morality. That's a boundary. The next one is group stupid. You've probably heard me say that. I don't think that's a real term out there. That's what I use. It's the idea of a herd mentality. And for this one, I'm going to give you an example of horses because I have lived around horses much of my life. Um, in different capacities. And let me tell you, one of the things that horses do is they tell social truths about their herd, their group. If you've got a horse that's at the bottom of the totem pole and they go out to make a friend with another horse, the herd gets mad at them because structurally, that's somebody who is more susceptible to the other presentation, the other herd, the other horse. People are no different. When we have our arms around people and we realize, wow, this person is super susceptible to these things because of their weaknesses, we have to make sure that we hold them tight so that they don't 
go and transform into something that is unhealthy. Now, that's assuming a lot. And it's assuming that, for instance, I know better than they do. And the reality does exist at times that our weaknesses are going to lead us astray. And we need good people or good horses to rein us in and say, hold on a second, time out. Hey, you're doing that thing again where you're listening to this other perspective, but not being critically thoughtful about that perspective. It's okay to read whatever book you want if you're religious. What it's not okay to do if you're religious is to start believing in these other belief systems. That's what they would say. Now, why would they say that? It's that herd mentality. We got to protect them. Me personally, I read everything and I trust my own discernment or the discernment of the people around me that I have looking after me. Because I have lots of people who look after me. They keep an eye on me, make sure that I don't get too far off. And they correct if I need correction. And I correct when I need correction. And when we combine those, my corrections and their corrections, I can stay the straight and narrow pretty well most of the time. But group stupid is a real thing. And it's part of that battlefield. The last one I'm going to talk about today in terms of obstacles to morality is fear. Now, fear is a major obstacle. A matter of fact, might be the single most significant obstacle uh, that I see on a routine basis. Fear prevents success. Success in growth, success in work, success in anything pretty much. Fear gets in the way. Fear is a word I wish we could get rid of because when it's on the battlefield, it stalls people. It prevents action. I'll give you the example. The example that I use most often, if you're standing on top of a totem pole, right? You know what that looks like. It's just a giant pole or a phone pole. If you're standing at the very top of it and you don't have a harness or anything, are you really in danger? Chances are the top of that pole is wide enough and the pole is strong enough to hold you if you don't freak out and make an individual error. Now, the risk is high if you screw up, which increases fear. And when we increase fear, we increase the shakiness of our legs. The same is true socially. We get shaky. And we get unstable. When we get unstable, we're more likely to fall. And that risk becomes even more of a reality. So what do we do? We keep our feet flat on the ground. But we need some people to climb the pool. We need some people to go to the top and look out and tell us what's out there. And so some people who have courage and they can say, you know what? I'm not going to have that fear controlling me. I'm going to overcome that fear in this particular way so that I can be helpful, not just to myself, but to those around me. And they're going to climb that pole. Now that, that can be translated into a lot of different scenarios, but fear is a massive, massive problem. And if we want success, we have to be willing to put in what it takes to get success. 
on the battlefield of morality, of character. I'm going to give you a little story that I've heard. This is from many, many years ago, and I got to be honest, I would give credit where credit is due if I knew where it came from, but I use it so often and it's it's been in my mind for years and years. The story goes something like this. There's the CEO of a company. If you heard this and you know who gets credit for it, please send it to me. I would love the information so I could appropriately give credit where credit is due. The CEO of a company pulls in. They've got a parking spot. It's got their name on it. They park their super sweet car. It's a very expensive car. And they go into the building and they get in the elevator and they go to the top floor and they go to the corner office with big windows. One day, this new person shows up. This person sees that CEO drive up to that parking spot, get out of their car, and they follow them in the building. And they see that they're going to the top floor and they go to the corner office. And this new person who just got out of college, they're fresh, fresh as can be. They think to themselves, one day I'm going to have that. That's going to be what I'm going to do. That's going to be my version of success as well. A couple weeks later, the new person has the opportunity to meet the CEO. And they, they say, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. You know, that kind of thing. They're very, uh, you know, business-like, right? They're wearing their suit, their nice clothes, right? They're doing great shoes. I mean, they're dressing apart. And they say to the CEO, you know, one day I'm going to have what you've got. And the CEO looks at them and says, you want what I got? The kid goes, yeah, yeah, I want what you got. The CEO says, if you want what I got, Meet me at six o'clock tomorrow at the beach. Here's the, here's the parking lot that I want you to pull into. I'll see you at six o'clock in the morning. Next morning, six o'clock in the morning. Well, actually at 5.55, the kid is pulled in, parked, waiting for the CEO. A couple minutes before six, the CEO shows up. Kid jumps out of the car, wearing a nice suit, great shoes, looking the part thinking, this is great. The CEO might just take me under their wing. This is going to be amazing. And the CEO looks and says, hey, you sure you want what I got? The kid goes, yeah, yeah, I want, I want what you got. And the CEO points to the ocean and says, start walking. The kid says, well, I, I brought my, my suit. I can, I can go get changed. I, I I won't even go to the bathroom. I'll just, you know, I'll just do it right here. I just, I just want, I just, I, I want to make sure I'm successful. The CEO says, "You want what I got?" They point to the ocean. And they say, "Start walking." So the kid just starts walking, gets to the edge of the sand, realizes they're going to have to walk on the sand. So they strip off their nice shoes and socks and they just set them aside, and then they start walking. And they're walking in the sand and they, they keep going about halfway to the ocean water. They say, what are we doing? The CEO says, you want what I got? Keep walking. So the kid just you know, keeps walking, gets down to the wet part of the sand. You know what I'm talking about, that, that cool part that's you know, no longer going between the toes kind of a thing. You know, it's, it's, it's actually hard. And, and the, the kid starts to realize, wait a minute, like... <clears throat> My feet are going to get wet pretty soon. 
So the kids hurrying to roll up their le- their pant legs, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they're you know they're ready to go and get and you know they get they get about ankle deep and they say, "What are we doing?" The CEO says, "You want what I got?" The kid said, "Yeah, I want what you got." Then keep walking. So the pant legs keep hiking up further and further, and pretty soon the ocean waves are splashing and the pant legs are getting wet. The kid says, "How far am I going to have to go?" And the CEO says, you want what I got? The kid said, yes, but like, I'm asking you a different question. And the CEO just says, keep walking. So at this, you know, the kids, the kid had, you know, dropped the coat back because it was like, um, you know, got no socks on, no shoes. But now the pants are getting salt water soaked up to the waist, up to the, the belly button, up to the chest. Kid stops and says, how far are we going to go as they're bobbing up and down with the waves? The CEO says, if you want what I've got, keep going. So the kid at this point is like, well, my pants are probably ruined and yeah, I'm out here anyway. I'm just going to keep going and see where this takes me. Starts treading water and says, finally, out of irritation, the kid says, this is stupid. What are we doing? This is this isn't teaching me anything. Why are you why do you have me out here? And the CEO takes their hand and puts it on the shoulder of the kid and says, Do you really want what I got? And the kid says, Yes, but can you tell me what we're doing? And the CEO takes the other hand and puts it on the other shoulder and pushes the kid under the water and holds them down there for like 10 seconds. And that kid starts to do what anybody would do. Starts to freak out a little bit, panic a little bit, and try to get to the top. Because it, that kid knows, that kid knows being under that water is dangerous. Can't be down there for too long. And the CEO, after about 10 seconds, lets the kid go, swims back to shore. And the whole time the CEO is swimming back to shore, the kid is chirping. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to have everything that you have. Da, 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 and goes on and on and on the whole way back to the beach. The CEO gets out of the water, stands there, waits for the kid. The kid comes out and is just cursing and, you know, being a rambunctious I mean, obviously, that was a pretty traumatic situation. And the CEO waits for the kid to calm down enough and says to the kid, if you want what I've got, as much as you wanted that breath of air out there, then maybe you will get it. The point of the story is super important. Now, obviously, not probably the best way to go about business. But when we look at obstacles to morality, we have to want character and morality as much as we want our breath of air. Because at the end of the day, If we don't have character, we don't have morality in our lives, 
we become worth less. Not worthless, but day after day, we become worth less and less and less to ourselves and our community instead of worth more and more and more. We need to be developing our character. We have to know the battlefield that we're on. And we have to be fighting the right battle. The battle is not the person in front of you. It's the character of the person in front of you. I know really great people that have not displayed great character. When they changed their behaviors to exude the character that they actually wanted, then their greatness shone through. I'm going to leave you to ponder that. Please share this with folks. Let them know this is here. Thanks for taking a little bit of a deep dive into the obstacles of morality. And have a great day.